Welcome to Retail Done Right. I'm Christine Gonzalez-Swartz. And I'm Jeff Fisher. Last week's inflation report was not good news. Uh, Consumer prices are up 8.5% over the past year. That's remarkable. And I'm not using remarkable in a positive way. This is a 40-year high. We're definitely feeling the effects, but I will say, Christine, that our new Tesla has reduced, or should I say eliminated, oh, shut up. our pain at the pump. According to Paul Krugman in his recent New York Times opinion article titled, Inflation is About to Come Down, But Don't Get Too Excited, he says the surging gas prices accounted for half of March's price rise. But we'll get into that more later. Christine, are you feeling the effects of inflation? Oh, I am seeing it. I am feeling it. And it is real. We have mentioned the resale market often during this podcast, and it goes without question that we've discussed sustainability. I believe this is your favorite word, Christine. It's one of them, but it's, it's up there. You're really right. We've certainly embraced the resale market. Here in my household, my husband's become quite the shopper on the real real. They've made the shopping experience pretty simple. If only they would reduce the emails they send. But think of all the opportunities Dan would miss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I want to reduce a little bit. Today, let's dig into the two current trends, inflation and sustainability and how they're driving the resale retail boom in our post-pandemic world. Martin Pierce's briefing for the information last week highlighted Rent the Runway's recent performance, and I quote, the company reported 91% growth in revenue for its fiscal fourth quarter ending in January and projected a similar rate of growth for the first quarter. The main reason is that people are partying again and finally returning to the office. I'd add that their customers are on the front line of sustainability. I sure hope so. Sustainability is, as we all know, one of my favorite topics. So allow me to share with you some of the points from IBM's recently published report on balancing sustainability and profitability for the IBM Institute for Business Value. Link is in the show notes. And you're one of the authors of this report, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Why, yes, I am. Along with my colleagues, Jane Chung, Kathy Falar, Chris Nowak, Jillian Oral, and Steve Peterson. Let's focus on consumers today. So survey in February of 16,000 consumers around the globe found that more than half, well, 51% of our respondents say environmental sustainability is more important to them today than it was 12 months ago. We also found that the intent action gap is closing. There's been a lot of conversation about consumers saying they were interested, but that they were not taking the actions. That is definitely closing. In 2021, we found that half of consumers said they were willing to pay a premium for a sustainable brand or sustainable products. And this year, 49% of the consumers say they've paid that premium an average of 59% more for products that are sustainable or socially responsible. Wow. And they've done that in the last 12 months. 
We also found this notion of a multiplier effect, a combination of better quality, better value, and more information would help more than four out of five consumers or 83% actually buy more sustainable products. While those pieces all work independently, quality, affordability or value and better understanding, when you put them together, those factors would increase 83% of the consumer influence to make these kinds of changes. There is great data in this report, Christine. Thank you. I am blown away by one of the stats. Sustainable shopping is on the rise. Okay, that's not surprising. With three out of five consumers saying socially responsible or sustainable products made up at least half of their last purchase. Now, that is incredibly encouraging. You know, it was funny because there were people who looked at that data in the conversations early on in the report, and they thought that wasn't a fabulous number. I was like, wow, I was so excited for that. It jumped off the page to me. So I am complete agreement with you. And also what I appreciate in the report is the discussion about how complex this is. Our economy is driven by consumer behavior and by consumption. Managing this balance of embracing and implementing reclaim programs, recycle programs, sustainability in products while delivering unexpected ongoing growth is tough. You mean ongoing growth? Sorry? You said ongoing growth. Ongoing <laughs> no, I'm <growth>. doing it. <laughs> okay. It's not easy to say, you know, it's harder to deliver. Exactly. Yes. Retailers can run more sustainable stores with solar panels, wind, water reclamation, more efficient supply chains, you name it. But they still need to sell products. That is absolutely true. We are focused today on consumer shopping, but the report actually talks about how the consumer's complete outlook is changing. So three out of four consumers say they want to do more to support sustainability at home. And many are reducing water and energy consumption, recycling products. But there is clearly an opportunity to lift people up in the balance of those kinds of at-home activities. One of the things that really blows me away in the report is this notion of sustainable investing, where 62% of personal investors are taking sustainability into account in their portfolios. And that's up from 48% in 2021. So it's less than half to close to two thirds. And consumers are saying sustainable travel is a priority and they're prioritizing it over cost, convenience, or comfort. Like you said, we're focused on shopping today, but this is not specific to shopping. This is behavior that touches almost every aspect of your life. It is. And that's what makes this report in particular so interesting. It is one of my favorite reports of the year to work on. But when we look at what the difficulties are, they actually look at what they're going to do and then they look at the barriers. And in this report, when we started to consider all three of those, we came down to three things that organizations could do, and that's enhance communication, 
and embrace the circular economy, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit here, and then educate, inform, and influence. So being able to bring that to the fore is really, really important as part of this process. In this report, we make mention of the fact that companies can't do it without consumers, but truly companies need to be making these changes because as we've talked about, consumers are going through a calculus on who they will buy from, and this is part of it. Consumers are primed for this. They're ready for this. And it's the retailers that line up. They're going to be the winners. I agree with you. Check out Lululemon like new. Yep, exactly. They have now launched this program nationwide after their test with their re-commerce platform in California and Texas. You can trade in lightly worn gear and get credit. Lululemon will make it like new. And you can shop used gear online. They are far from the only one. You know, we've mentioned quite a few of these on previous podcasts. Patagonia, REI, Levi's, Nike, Macy's, Nordstrom. Oh, yeah. Yes, we always have to plug them. Has even partnered with ThreadUp. Yeah, and I think that what we're starting to see is this, especially the clothing market growing We've got a couple of different components here that are driving this. There's new types of materials that are coming into the market. There's reconditioning that's going on. And then there is actual physical secondhand clothing growth. According to a report that was done by ThreadUp with analysis by market research firm Global Data, the resale market is growing. And I'm perfectly serious. Stop for a second. The retail market is growing at a rate 11 times faster than traditional retail. Wow, that's remarkable. While your mileage may vary, there are (laughs) estimates that'll be worth $84 billion by 2030, with fast fashion predicted to be worth about $40 billion. What's remarkable is they're estimating that more sustainably driven retail will increase while fast fashion is going to decrease, which I think is really good news. I'm so excited by that. But then you look at CNBC and they say 53 billion by 2023. So consumer shifts are happening everywhere. Resale platforms like the Real Real ThreadUp have benefited. ThreadUp couldn't make it any easier to participate with them. And you start to see other retailers like Macy and JCPenney Finding their ways in. Absolutely. Axios recently reported that the drivers of the growth are younger consumers who are drawn to thrifting for its sustainability and eclectic and cool styles. I mean, talking about alignment of shopping mission, one of the highlights of the article is their comment that Gen Z's revival of secondhand fashion is a boon to brick and mortar retail, something near and dear to our hearts. Even though online thrift shops are gaining popularity, younger thrifters say that they prefer physical stores. Love that. I remember, and I just got to throw back for a second. When I was in college, I had gone to a thrift store and found an old vintage tuxedo jacket that was almost two sizes too big, but I could roll up the sleeves 
Annie Hall style. And like, it was so cool to wear with a pair of jeans and a pair of black loafers. And to this day, I will never find a jacket I will like as much as that one. I love that. That meant something to you. You can remember it. Christine, I'm not a Gen Z young shopper, but this is happening live. There's quite a large store in the Biltmore Fashion Center here in Phoenix, adjacent to Neiman Marcus, that's called My Sister's Closet, which is secondhand. It's mainstream now. There's a lot more retailers getting involved today and that need to get involved in order to get to those numbers. But as you said earlier, they need to line up because this is becoming a consumer demand. Just look at what Real Real is doing and all of the collaborations and partnerships that they have. And you can even go to the opposite extreme and look at the remarkable work that JCPenney's is doing as well. I love being able to actually do that, but we all know that I will always walk a local path. Yes. You know how much I love supporting my local community-based stores and especially female founders. There is a store called Always Never Done or And in Landisville, Pennsylvania, and it is definitely in the sustainability business. They are focused on your home and their shop is filled with one-of-a-kind furniture pieces and they offer DIY workshops. Let's call this what it is, the refinished furniture trend. I love that. I bought a chest of drawers recently to support my French farmhouse new home and I'm headed in that direction. This is something that people are picking up in their spare time and they're moving to it as a career. So as again, we talk about these trends that allow us to support these new and interesting ways of working with the marketplace. I can't say enough fabulous and fun things about that. Their website is great. The picture of their store is great. I mean, it's just exactly all what works. it looks absolutely. like. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. So we'll absolutely be having a link to their website in our show notes. And I do hope we collectively continue to focus on our homes. This was so much driven by the COVID-19 epidemic. Though we're still living with COVID, society is definitely open. People are traveling, going out, you name it. But our house, our apartment, our condo is still our home. There's a movement back to the office, but it's looking more and more like hybrid will take the day as well. So the home continues to be an important place to live and to work. And I definitely embrace the circular economy fundamentals. Christine, we'll include a chart in our show notes from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that's a wonderful systems diagram of the circular economy. The circular economy is this means of talking about how we reduce the impact of our actions and how we handle and deal with the trade-offs that are made from design clear through disposal or hopefully reclamation. And I think that what we're doing here is we're starting to see the impact on a timescale that's actually relevant and important to people. If we create waste that takes thousands of years to recover or even tens of years to recover, we are never going to be able to help solve the problems that our little blue ball orbiting the ball of fire is going to have. So if you're in a circular economy, we're talking about material toxicity. We want to reduce that. We want to be able to look at 
the way we select materials to go into our products, and the way we actually allow ourselves to be able to remarket those. So this is really an important part of what we're doing to make progress toward the future. It just makes me so happy to see these things going on. Me too. It's so important. It's a great chart. So we'll make sure that we share it. And at the top of the show, I mentioned Paul Krugman's recent opinion article in the New York Times, where he wrote that inflation will probably fall significantly over the next few months. He writes this in part driven by an overshot or overreaction by the world oil market to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of which we also spoke about recently. Surging gasoline prices are accounting for half of March's price rise. But he goes on to quote the CEO of FreightWaves, a company that specializes in supply chain analysis. The retailers appear to have overbought and are sitting on unusually large inventory. Car lots are filling up. Demand for trucking is falling. International shipping rates seem to be coming down as well. So maybe a little glimmer of hope. Yeah, but it's not all rosy, my friend. Yeah, true. Rent continues to go up. Rentals are increasing as well. Some wages are going up. And in some cases, wages are not. The report points out that employers who are not either doing something to retain those employees, especially focusing on sustainability, are going to see challenges. There are companies that definitely are not behaving like talent magnets. Wages are going up. Paul's good news. The good news is there's no sign that expectations of high inflation are getting entrenched in the way they were in, say, 1980. Consumers, oh, by the way, I know a lot of us don't remember 1980. That's all right. (laughs) Consumers expect high inflation in the near future, but medium term expectations haven't moved much, suggesting that people expect inflation to come down a lot or that we expect to be pricing into it. So, Christine, do we wrap on a positive note? Yeah, I got a couple of positive notes here. Well, that was one right there. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that we'll get through this, guys. We got through a pandemic. I mean, my word, we have seen worse than this. And I will not talk about Ukraine a lot because I'll start to cry again. But I think that we are pulling together as a world. And I think that overall, we are stronger together than we've ever been. And I think that sustainability to a degree figures into that. We are finally proving that there are enough of us ready to make changes and make the changes that are critical for our future in so many ways. And in this way, the resale economy is just part of that. And it's a great barometer for the circular economy. It's a very positive part of that. And... To be even more positive, I want to make sure we celebrate the seven retailers who were on Fortune's Great Places to Work. Excellent. We talk a lot about what retailers should be doing, and I think that these guys are grand examples. Wegmans at number three. Love you guys. Target, number 12. Absolutely. You know how we feel about you guys. Definitely. Sheets at number 33. They're a little itty bitty PA company in Altoona, a convenience store breaking into the fortune best places to work at number 33. 
53 is Altered States, and they are a clothing retailer. 92 is Publix, another, God bless them, food company, primarily Southeastern United States. 95 is Nugget Market, and I'm going to have to look them up. And 98 is CarMax. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. Good for them. We always talk about how bad it is to buy a used car. At least their employees love them. And you know what happens when your employees love you? Your customers do too. Exactly. It's going to show in your customers. Direct relationship. We have a lot to be hopeful for. Please, guys, give us more to talk about on the circular economy, on resale retail, and everything we can to keep working in the right direction. Thank you for that, Christine. This is Retail Done Right. Thank you for joining our conversation. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And please comment. This is a fantastic way for us to reach a broader audience. Connect with Christine and me on LinkedIn. We love hearing from you. And thanks to our fantastic editor and sound engineer, Michael Cook, via Upwork. And our theme music was composed by J.D. Sirawad. Thank you, everyone. Please follow us on Instagram at Retail Done Right and at our website at RetailDoneRight.net. Take care of yourself. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. Let's go thrift shopping. Absolutely. I'm there. <laughs>